Anyway, uh, any of you ever experience like an overreaction or an extreme emotional response to an incident that does not warrant that response? You know, I'm glad that everyone's with me here. Uh, about 10 years ago, it was early on in my career as a house parent at a maternity home. So essentially, my husband David and I and our kids, we lived in a maternity home for about five years with just some amazing young women. We got to be mentors to them and champions for them. But it was one evening about 10 p.m. at night that I got a knock on the door, my bedroom door, from our staff assistant, and she said, hey, I'm going to call her Tracy because I never lived with a Tracy. So she said, uh, Tracy is moving out. Well, this was a really unexpected move out because Tracy really was, for lack of a better word, the poster child for the maternity home. She came to us with a lot of hurt, a lot of what we would maybe call baggage, a lot of pain, a lot of bad decisions. And she had committed her life to Jesus. And she had, on her own, joined a Bible study. And she had said to us, like, I'm going to change my life. This is the direction that I'm going to head now. And there was a lot of fondness that grew in my heart for her and a lot of respect for her making those decisions to change her life. So this move out completely blindsided me. And I was feeling so deeply hurt and deeply betrayed. Now, an emotionally healthy response, an emotionally healthy person may have understood that teenagers sometimes act a little impulsively. Sometimes they're kind of confused. Maybe I should have understood that this wasn't a personal attack against me and who I was. I wish I could say that I responded in an emotionally healthy way. I wish I could have said, I love you and I bless you and we are still here for you if you need us. However, that was not my response. My response was one of anger. My response was one of sobbing. By 11 o'clock that night, I grabbed my car keys. She was taking the rest of her stuff out. I got in my car with no destination in mind and I drove away ready to be done with ministry, ready to be done with this life. Didn't she know that I had sacrificed everything to be there to serve here, serve her? It was an ugly emotion, and it set my life on a different trajectory in that moment. If you are new to joining us, we are in a series called The Emotionally Healthy Family. And this morning, I get to talk about all things emotions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness as we sang about it, God, that even in the midst of difficulty, God, that we could proclaim your goodness. Jesus, we love you. I ask that you would soften hearts this morning. I ask that you would give the ability for people to hear what it is that you have for them today. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Anybody out here ever catch any TV shows or movies? If you don't know this about me, I love TV. My husband can attest to it. I love myself a good binge on Netflix. There's nothing better to me than just check out and put on TV or media or books. I like all those types of things. But how many of you know that emotions are not always portrayed accurately in TV? Maybe, you know, we see an angry person, and the answer is vindication or justice, right? Insert any superhero movie you've ever seen. 
Maybe the definition of love is a woman swooning over her best friend's boyfriend, and in the end, she gets him, because that's true love. Or maybe it's happiness, which is you get whatever you want, whenever you want it. Or we learn how to deal with sadness by just sitting on the couch eating some chocolate, or if you're a guy going out, I don't know, chopping wood, whatever you guys do when you're sad. <laughs> what is that, Lance? That's what you do, you chop some, you, you eat chocolate too. <laughs> or maybe you're stressed out at your boss, and so you know, you set him up to fail and then you take his job. All the ways that we see emotions portrayed on TV, right? It's a little bit wacky. Well, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Lance say that families are the most powerful institution in the world and that power equates to influence. I'm going to say that again because that really struck me. Families are the most powerful institution in the world and that power equates to influence. So maybe some of you, you've been blessed with a family that modeled emotional health in your family. You guys could talk and process emotions, and, and you weren't shamed for having an emotion. Uh, or maybe you were. Maybe some of you grew up in a household where crying wasn't acceptable, and you were called names or told to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Or maybe you were too serious when you should have been laughing. Or you were laughing and you were told you should have been more serious. It's easy to see that emotions are a tricky subject and that right here in our sphere of influence or in what we're watching on TV or seeing in our families is kind of misconstrued very often. And we don't then know where do we look to find out what a healthy picture of emotions are. See, emotions play an important aspect in compelling us toward action. They compel us toward action. They also help us to thrive, to survive, and to avoid danger. So we see all these misconstrued pictures of emotion, both in media and maybe in our families, but these things are supposed to compel us toward movement. So we can see that maybe we wouldn't always make the right decisions when we're in a state of emotional distress. Maybe we would just become impulsive or react. So it's so important for us to recognize the importance of emotions and how they play in our life and how we can reign over our emotions and allow them to interact in our life in a way that is healthy. Sometimes I think the Big C Church, and I can maybe just speak for myself here, and when I say Big C Church, I mean Global Church, not Puget Sound Foursquare, but the Global Church, we, we do a really good job, right, at saying that God is good all the time, and he is. Make no mistake about it, he is. But I can say for myself, because I know that God is good, I don't like the emotions that make me feel sad. I don't like to sit in my sadness or my anger or my irritation. And so often I will just kind of tamp it down. And uh, those that know me, and I'm not going to look on this side of the room, uh, my uh, word is fine. I say, it's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. My friend that's sitting over there will be like, is it fine? Is it fine, Heather? <laughs> and that's my way of dealing with this kind of yucky emotion. And, and the church, I think, at times has done its a disservice to one another because in our attempt to encourage one another to proclaim God's goodness 
We don't want to deal with the real hard emotions that are really churning up inside us. And so we pretend they aren't there. But guess what? They're there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what happens when we kind of push those down. So when we push those down, when we don't deal with them, I'm going to say that that's our emotions left unchecked. They're kind of free floating in there. When our emotions are left unchecked, they can become personally devastating to you, to your family, to your friendships, to wherever you insert yourself, your workplace, your play groups, wherever you do. If you do not deal with the things that are going on inside of you, it will bring devastation to your marriage. So this topic is incredibly important. And this morning, my prayer, my belief is that God is going to begin a work in you to set you free. A work in you to come to grips with some of those emotions that are churning in you that are hard to deal with. Amen? So how do we deal with all these emotions? How do we do emotions in this emotionally confused world? What I want to do is take a look at a couple of different passages in the Old Testament to kind of look at where some emotions went awry. And we're going to start this morning with Cain and Abel. We should have known because they are the descendants of Adam and Eve, okay? And they didn't always make the best decisions either. So we're going to, if you don't know the story of Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel are the children of Adam and Eve and they're brothers. And Cain is the older brother, I believe. Abel is the younger brother. And their dad asked them to bring a sacrifice before the Lord. And Cain, in all his wisdom, decides that berries is the best that he can bring to the Lord. Abel brings the fat from one of his firstborn, like the first fruits of his cattle. And they put it in the fire. And back in that day, they believed that if the fire rose high, that the um, the offering, the sacrifice that was made to the Lord, was looked on and esteemed by the Lord. If the fire went down, it was believed then that the offering was not as good. So Cain dumps his berries in the fire, and the fire goes down. And then his brother Abel comes over, and he brings his offering, and the fire goes very big. We're going to join the story here. So we're going to turn to Genesis 4, 6 through 8. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. First thing we can learn this morning is that we shouldn't probably kill people out of anger. No, the first thing we should learn this morning is that when we react out of an angry emotion, there is going to be death, right? Emotions left unchecked will always bring death. Now, in this example, the death was actually physical death, right? But when we respond, when we just kind of let these gross emotions just kind of free flow and we don't deal with them, it will bring a death to our, possibly our marriage. It can bring a death to our relationships with our family. It can bring, really, we can walk away from the Lord, right? When Cain killed his brother Abel, he was in sin. He was walking a different direction than with the Lord. It can bring about a spiritual death. 
Uh, any of you guys been to Yellowstone? Anybody seen Old Faithful? Okay, so if you, I, uh, this is something else you'll learn about me. I don't just love to sit in front of the TV and binge watch. I do love it, but not that much. I also actually love to hike, and I love nature. So put it on your bucket list if you haven't been to Yellowstone. Um, there's a thing there called the Old Faithful Geyser. And Old Faithful is like this huge plume. It like erupts on a regular basis, and people come from all over the world to see this natural occurrence of Old Faithful and this explosion that happens um, all the time. It's pretty cool. What you don't see are the volcanic heat and gases that are underneath the surface, that are churning all day, that bring about this natural occurrence. What I would say is when our emotions are left unchecked, we are like the old faithful geyser. All of this stuff just churning inside of us. All these gases and these things that are just free-flowing until we just spew. And in this case with Cain, until he kills his brother. Now, we don't have a whole lot of history on Cain and Abel. I can imagine that this was probably the icing on the cake. This probably wasn't a one-time occurrence in which maybe God looked more favorably on Abel and Abel felt hurt or angry or sad. Most likely, Cain had just kind of, like I said, let's just tamp it down. Let's just hold it together. It's fine. We don't have to give way to any of our anger. We don't have to be upset about it. And it just keeps stacking and stacking and stacking until we just explode. And everything in the way, if you stood by Old Faithful when that thing went up, that would be the end of you. Right? That was the end of Abel. So what I love about God's response in that moment, though, and I don't want to miss this, because the, the Old Testament is full of stories of bad decisions. But I love that God's so sovereign, and we sang in what Laura, Pastor Laura talked about today, is his goodness in the midst of a storm. He said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? See, God interjected in the middle of that emotion. It's like the Holy Spirit, right, who wants to put us in check. Like, hey, he didn't say, don't be angry. He asked him, why are you angry? Like, let's process this together. What's going on in there, Cain? You can still choose to do what is right, even though you feel angry. And then he goes on and he said, sin, if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your doorstep. What a, a good picture from the Lord of that we need to be ready and armed and in constant communication with our Father because sin is right there waiting. And in this moment, Cain chose sin. He, so sep he chose separation from the Lord. Now, if we go down, I love this, in verse 9. We can't not talk about this because this is a very typical response. So we go down to verse 9 in Genesis, and it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? What does Cain say? I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> like, how many of us deflect in the moment, like when we're caught, right? Like, hello, guys. God knew. God knew where Abel was. Why do you think he asked Cain? He was giving him a moment of repentance. See, in the midst of all these bad decisions, because I want us to keep our eye on what God is doing in this, right? We are human. We are going to react out of emotion, but God is sovereign in the midst of it, and he gave an opportunity for Cain to come clean. But this is my second point today. Emotions left unchecked will eventually bring shame. See, Cain felt shame. He wanted to hide from the Lord. 
And when there's shame involved, it becomes this vicious cycle. So we're angry, we respond and do something wrong, then we want to hide from God, so we plop that shame on, on top of the anger, and then we're sad about it because we feel ashamed, and then we feel more shame, and it's just like this huge cycle. And we want we got to break free from that. And God's redemptive power says we can break free from that. There's a lot of hope to break free from that. So we're going to leave Cain and Abel a little bit here. We're going to go down the line a little bit further. We're going to move to Genesis 16. And we're going to talk about Sarai, which that's how it says it's supposed to be pronounced. I've always called it like Sarai or Sarai. It's Sarah. I'm just going to say Sarai because I want to be correct. And Hagar, they're eventually Sarai and Abraham or Abram. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about them. So Sarai was wife to Abraham, or to Abram. And Abram was given a promise from the Lord that his descendants, that his offspring would be more than the stars in the sky. Now Sarai, as his wife, was like in her 70s and not had a child yet. And I can just speak as a wife. I might begin to feel a little bit bad about myself. God has given this promise to my husband that my offspring, that his offspring, right, will be more than the stars in the sky. Well, maybe that doesn't include me. Maybe, maybe God's promise wasn't right. All the things that we begin to say to ourselves about whether God is good or not, we begin to beat ourselves up. Again, we maybe feel shame, we feel sad. So Sarai does as many of, I would, as, as many of us would do, and she takes matters into her own hands. So we're going to go to 16.1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. If you know anything about this story, you'll know that Hagar does indeed become pregnant. and She bears a son named Ishmael. But then later, Sarai, then named Sarah, becomes pregnant with Isaac. This separation, so the Lord gives his covenant to Isaac, who became the line of the Jews. Ishmael became the line of the Arabs. And if you know anything about culture today... Or what's going on in the world, this division is still in existence today. When you allow your emotions to remain unchecked and undealt with, and you react out of those, it brings division. Emotions left unchecked will bring division. Maybe when you're thinking right now about your family line, you're thinking about some unresolved emotion, some unresolved relationship, and maybe you've made an impulsive decision in that, and it has brought about division. Remember, guys, God's redemptive power is always at work, and it is not too late to bring about reconciliation to that family line. But when we respond out of our own sin and out of our own doubt and our fear and our worries, we'll bring division in our lives. Do you guys see how that plays out? Now, when I looked in the Old Testament, it is chock full of bad decisions. I mean, like, well, I mean, really, the whole word, you know, has uh, examples of people making just very poor decisions over and over. But you know what? It kind of gave me some hope. 
Because the bigger picture, and I've said it already twice this morning, because this is what I want you to leave, is the hope, I want you to leave with hope, is that God's redemptive power was always at work. Even when Sarai made a mistake, and she went and, and had Hagar become pregnant, God still blessed Ishmael. God still took care of his people. God still took care of them. And God gave his covenant to Isaac. God was still faithful to them even when they messed up. We are not beyond God's redemptive work in our lives. But we have to trust him with the scary places that are in our hearts that we don't want him to see, that we want to just keep. We want to be a good Christian. We don't want to have ugly emotions. We don't want to say that we're scared because God is good and he gives me courage. But God can handle those emotions. He's a big God, right? Ultimately, in his word, there is a great picture of redemption. So knowing that unchecked emotion can lead to shame and division and death, why wouldn't we want to learn how to process our emotion correctly, right? And fortunately for us, there are many examples of this guy named Jesus who came to earth fully human, just as you and I, and fully God, perfect in all his ways. And there are so many examples of emotions that he um, shared in the New Testament. And I don't have time to give all the scriptural references, so I'm just going to kind of blaze through some times and when he shared some emotions, and then we're going to deep dive a little bit further into that. But if you want the scriptures, you can either email me. I'm Heather at PugetSoundForsquare.com. You can email Lance's assistant. That's me. <laughs> you can email me for those. Or you can just Google. Honestly, you can just get on Google and just put Jesus' emotions in the, in the New Testament. It's really encouraging. So it says in the New Testament, Jesus loved. He grieved. He sighed. I love that picture. Oh, my children. <laughs> he wept. He sobbed. He groaned. He was in agony, he was surprised, he got amazed, and he got angry. And we're going to start looking at him in his anger. So we're going to turn to John 2, verses 13 through 20. And it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews then responded to him, Excuse me, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. So here we are, and I, and I had to like grapple a little bit with this. Like Jesus was angry, and he got a whip out, and he started knocking tables over. But you know what Jesus was angered by? Was that people were bringing about uh, irreverence for a place of holiness and worship. And do you know what he ultimately did? And I love this. When Jesus took action on his emotion, he did it with the end game in mind. 
What did he do? He pointed them back to salvation. He said, he was referring to his body. He said, I will bring this temple back in three days. So Jesus responded in anger in a way that pointed people to salvation. How many times in here can we say we've done that? How many times did we point people to salvation? See, when I was with that young lady 10 years ago, I had an opportunity and I am so glad that God is still sovereign and that he is still working in her life. But that was an opportunity missed. I didn't bring her in that moment nearer to salvation. See, God wants us to use our anger with righteousness. He wants us to process it, to be okay with it, and then to lead people back to him. That's a tall order. That is a difficult thing, but that is what Jesus modeled for us here. Let's turn to John 15, 11. This is a, just a brief one, but as I was preparing for this message, I felt like the Lord said that there's people in here that needed to hear this. So, I told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. So I've spoken a lot this morning to the Christian that maybe wants to kind of tamp down those negative, or they're not negative emotions, no emotions are negative, but those kind of emotions that make us feel yucky, right? But the Lord said to me this morning, there are some people that are too comfortable sitting in those emotions. And he wants you to have his joy. He said, my joy may be complete in you. And I would say, if I fall in a camp, sometimes I maybe fall on the yucky emotion camp. I can get real melancholy, me and my journal. <clears throat> Writing and lamenting. And God says, Heather, I created you and you are fragrant to me, and that is enough. And take joy in that. And so this morning, I just want to release that to you, that God says he wants you to experience freedom and joy in him. His joy is complete. You being exactly who you are, you being uh, anything that you think you did. <clears throat> Lance's fan is drying out my throat there. You being exactly who God created you to be is enough to take joy in. Despite your circumstances, your deep abiding joy can come from him. Do you ever just give yourself permission to just say, God, I can choose joy. I can look at these hard situations and Jesus, my gaze will be on you and I will choose joy. It is difficult but I just felt so compelled this morning to share that with you. So I have to believe that that is for some of you this morning. And the last passage of scripture that I'm going to spend time in is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, this was just right before Jesus' arrest, right before his crucifixion. And he knew that it was coming. It's Matthew 26, 36 through 39. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. If there's anything that you write down this morning or take notes on, I want you to write this down. Number one, 
it's not actually number one. I don't even know. I got so many points this morning. My points have points. Okay. <laughs> Jesus acknowledged his emotion. He took a moment and he said, I feel sorrowful to the point of death. And I think any of you in here, if you are not yet on this train of understanding your emotions, if you could just do that one thing really well this week, you would be a lot further ahead than you were when you came in this morning. Um, I, I talked to, about the young lady and my response to that, and that really became sort of an undoing for me, and it actually started two years of therapy that I began going to. Um, I had to get to a place where I could acknowledge some emotion in my life and realize why I had this extreme emotional reaction. And really, a lot of it stemmed from a place in my childhood where I felt really insignificant in my life. And I vowed that I would make my life matter, that I would have a significant impact in this world. And I wrapped up my value and my worth in making an impact in someone else's life. So you can imagine when I find out that all that stuff that she had been saying was lip service, that I really wasn't making this big difference in her life, how that feeling of insignificance came and just punched me in the face. And I didn't even know that I had been tamping that down for so many years. I had to learn how to acknowledge emotion, and I had to develop an emotional vocabulary, which I did not have. I didn't know words beyond sad, mad, happy, and glad. My counselor had to give me an emotion chart, and I still have it in my house. My kids can attest to that. I busted that out. I'm like, I'm going to help you guys develop your emotional vocabulary. <laughs> they love it. <laughs> but I had to sit down, and one thing that he encouraged me to do every single day was to assess where I was at in that moment of how I was feeling every day for 30 minutes. And maybe some of you in here aren't journalers. Please don't dismiss this idea. Just take a few minutes every day and just ask yourself, how am I feeling right now? And be honest. Acknowledge your emotion, even if it's a yucky feeling, because God can handle it. So the next thing I want us to learn about that passage of scripture is that Jesus took his emotion to his father. It says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, Father, if it's possible, will you take this cup from me? Fully God knew that his call in this earth was to die, to take on the weight of sins, the injustice of it, the weight of our sins. He didn't do anything. And he knew he had to go to that cross, but still, he stood before the Father, or he knelt before the Father, and he said, if you can take this cup from me, please take it from me. He was brave enough because God can handle the emotions. God can handle it. I had to be okay. My, uh, my journal became somewhat of a prayer journal for me. And I had to go before the Lord and I had to say, God, I am sorry that I did not feel significant enough just being who you created me to be. I'm sorry that I thought in my own power that I could become this saint and have significance. Ridiculous. But God could handle that. God could handle me coming before him and owning all of this junk that had been tamped down so that that event with Old Faithful happened and spew all over everything. But his redemptive work brought me to a counselor. 
His redemptive work brought me to a Christian counselor who pointed me back to Jesus. The next point is Jesus, and I'm about out of time, but Jesus brought his trusted friends into his confidence. Right? It says in the scripture that he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. If you don't have people that you can share life with or you're, you're stepping away from some life because you're scared, invite some trusted people in your life to do this journey with you and share with them how you're feeling. Big, capital, bold, trusted people in your life. Big, capital, bold. Don't just share those things with anybody. Make sure that it's somebody that you know that can point you back to Jesus and that can shoulder up in this thing. Even Jesus, Jesus said, come with me, come pray with me. And lastly, and most importantly, write this one down too. Ultimately, Jesus remained faithful to the call that God had on his life. He brought before God his emotion. He humbled himself. He asked for people to shoulder up with him. And yet he still was crucified. He still chose to set us free. See, if there's nothing more the enemy would like to do, it's to take you out of your call. Because you've got all this unresolved, yucky emotion churning inside of you that you think it's not okay to acknowledge. It's not okay to be. It's fine. I forgive that person. It's fine. It's fine. But God said, bring your anger to me. Tell me why. Cry out to me. Say, why, God, did I have to walk through this? He can handle it. The more that we just stuff it down, the more the enemy can have a play field, take you out of this whole game. No, you have something to give to people. Don't let the enemy steal that away because you're too scared to look into that emotion. And I also believe that there's people in here this morning that are dealing with grief, or let me say not dealing with grief, and maybe it's grief because you've lost a loved one, Maybe it's grief because you've lost a season of your life and you are scared that if you turn that hose on, you are going to drown. But God said, bring your grief to me. Bring your grief to me and turn on that faucet and trust that I can handle it. And I say that too, to get alongside of some people. Don't do it by yourself. Don't do it by yourself. Bring people along. I'd like to do an exercise this morning. I'd like us all to close our eyes. I want us to put our hands out in front of us. What I'd like you to do, and this might be hard, but I want you to try. I want you to try to picture Jesus right in front of you right now. I want you to see him sitting there. I want you to see the compassion that's brimming in his eyes. And I want you to have a moment, just you and Jesus right now, with your eyes shut. I want you to look at Jesus. This is going to require an act of obedience, but I want you to say it with your mouth. I want you to say, Jesus, I trust you. Say, Jesus, I trust you. And I want you to ask him just right now between the two of you, I want you to ask him to reveal to you what emotion that he wants to deal with first inside you. Maybe it's the lack of joy. Maybe it's sorrow, anger, grief, whatever it is. Just a moment. We're just going to take a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want you guys to repeat after me. Jesus, 
Will you step into my life? Will you help me to be vulnerable, to take down the walls, and to trust that you are greater? Thank you. In Jesus' name. See, this morning you can walk out of this place unchanged, or you can allow this to be a new day. A new day where you can walk with new freedom. I think some of you may think that because you don't share your emotion with Jesus, he doesn't know that it's there. But guess what? He does. And when you just don't acknowledge it and allow him to have that redemptive hand in your life, you're just not going to be able to walk in your calling to the fullness in what he'd like you to walk in. And I want each and every one of you to walk in the fullness of what he created you to do on this earth. Amen just going to pray. We're going to dismiss. So, Father God, you are good. You are good in everything that you do in our lives, and we trust you this morning. I thank you, God, that each and every person today would leave filled with hope at the journey that's ahead, God, that they would know that they can walk in absolute freedom, that they would hold their head high today, Jesus keeping their gaze on you. And we pray against any kind of scheme of the enemy that would try to take away from what they have done this morning. I thank you that this is a new day. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can...